to the panel on RNZ National. Jenny Giblin and Mark Sainsbury here. And uh, this latest news is a um, stand-up at four, just uh, half an hour ago into a highly critical review into Auckland Council's response to the January floods. And it's found its emergency management was slow, ill-prepared and unfit to respond to a major storm. Former Police Commissioner Mike Bush and the Independent Review Panel found that Auckland Council's emergency management system was not prepared for an event of the magnitude and speed that occurred. The timing of the declaration of emergency was another topic of our review. We're confident that the Mayor issued a declaration of emergency immediately after he was advised it was requested by emergency services. However, we consider that the request for an emergency declaration could and should have been made earlier in the evening. That's Mike Bush there. Now, Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown's response to the record-breaking January 27 floods in Auckland was heavily criticised at the time as parts of Auckland were inundated. By 4pm that day, flooding had already forced people out of their homes, buses inundated with water. Auckland Emergency Management issued no social media alerts for four hours between about 6pm and 10pm. Four people died in the floods. And Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown said the preparation wasn't good enough. He accepts the recommendations of this independent review. So that's just finished a few minutes ago. With us is Lyle Carter, who chairs West Auckland is Flooding, uh, representing homeowners in the West that have been deeply affected. Kia ora, Lyle. Kia ora, Wallace. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on this afternoon. Uh, it's a pleasure, Lyle. Actually, just something <laughs> I'm re- listening to the report, listening to the re- the stand up, uh, and my mind instantly goes back to that afternoon and that night, Lyle. Mm. Pretty chilling stuff, huh? Yeah, and I think um, while, while I'm sure you could appreciate uh, the report is pretty fresh, and um, we haven't been able to go through it in detail. I think for me, uh, the over the, over, the real overarching theme is a lack of um, preparedness for Auckland City, and particularly for us out here in West Auckland. A lack of preparedness for, our, uh, for the infrastructure to deal with uh, the amount of water that we were facing on that afternoon and into that evening. And so they are recommending following actions. There's a spate of them here. Uh, that should all be immediately commenced in order to ensure better prep there. So, for example, uh, a separate review be undertaken to examine uh, Auckland emergency management prevention and preparedness. You've got delivering a more frequent schedule of emergency management exercises, including mm. complex scenarios, Lyle. Uh, does this, at first glance, and it's really fresh, does this allay any concerns or fears that you have? I, I think for us, again, it being very fresh, I think for us uh, we would return to our knitting, as it were, <laughs> which is what we're advocating for is retrofitting and retreat. And under retrofitting, it's um, looking at a variety of, of flood prevention measures to to deal with um, to do to deal with weather events like retainment ponds, flood walls, stream cleaning, green spaces, and wetlands, um, and then for for the homes that for the small amount of homes that couldn't be saved through those measures, um, then some form of a retreat uh, would have to happen in that in, in that scenario. But it's around creating a framework 
in which we um, perform both retrofit and retreat. All right, so before we go to our panel, uh, very shortly, you, mm. you, you're asking for the real nitty-gritty stuff, the practical yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think, I think, I think um, you know, again, you know, brief look at, the, uh, at that report. I think that's part of the armour, but the other part of our defences and our armour is being prepared. And being prepared, in our view, and WAIF, West Auckland is flooding, in our view, is retrofit and retreat. All right. Okay, so that's Lyle Carter there. Stay there, Lyle. Uh, he chairs the West Aucklanders flooding. Many of the people involved in that group actually, uh, or some of them, had lost their homes or homes that had been inundated multiple times. Uh, and, Jenny, you're also in the Hawke's Bay. You're also living this as well. What's your take on this? Yeah, we, we absolutely are. Um, it, it's, it'll be really interesting. I haven't read it, obviously, yet, but um, it'll be really interesting to see what the takeouts are. And I suspect Hawke's Bay will be exactly the same in terms of being underprepared. Yeah. It's a, was a slightly different event with a cyclone as opposed to the to the floods. But one of the things that's been really um, prevalent here post-cyclone, Gabriel, and I'd be interested in Lyle's um, comments on this, and see whether or not this has happened in Auckland, has been around the lack of communication post the event. So, yes, the event is, but it was huge, and, the, and I understand there was a lack of communication in Auckland around that. Same here in Hawke's Bay because they couldn't communicate because all the, uh, all the systems were down. But the issue here we have in Hawke's Bay is there's still very little communication going out to our community, and I wondered if that's something that Lyle has faced in Auckland post, yeah. post the floods yeah. in terms yeah, of great what is... Yeah, I, I think I think there is a real tension in the now and not yet, and in the waiting. And and in my walks around the the neighbourhood and um in you know and bumping into people in Kmart in the supermarket, there's a lot of people saying now what we're just waiting. And I think um, I think there are a lot of people that fall into uh, the people fall into two camps: those that have been displaced and those who are despondent. And the people that are displaced are the ones that can no longer live in their homes and are waiting for an answer. And for those that are, are despondent, um, they're the ones that are living, still living in their homes with the threat, uh, fearing the winter floods that could come. And I think that's the real tension for, and, and the real tension point for people at the moment. Uh, people are stuck and waiting to hear back um, from local and from central government. And, 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 and I can understand it takes time to formulate a plan. But there is a real... I think, I think we have to acknowledge there's a real tension there for people, and um, it's a really hard place to be. Mark? Look, I'm, I'm wondering, this, this preparedness, they keep saying the council wasn't prepared, and I look at the things that you're advocating, the retrofitting and the managed retreat, etc., but what is it that they shouldn't have, should have done? Should have they had exercises to assess their capability? Do we have any idea? Or, or what do you see as preparedness on their part? Well, I think it probably goes slightly above my pay grade <laughs> <laughs> and experience and expertise at that point. Um, I, I, I think, again, to, 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 use the, to use the common phrase, to stick to our knitting, which is very much around, um, and at a very high level, around, around what we're advocating for, which is retrofitting and... Um, 
and and retreat. I think that's um, that question's probably for someone else. Yeah, because Lyle, in position. there must be other places around the country. People reading this, and we have an incredible sympathy for what's happened in your communities. But thinking, mm. oh, I wonder what the situation is in Wellington or right. or Dunedin. Yeah. I mean, if, if Auckland mm. wasn't prepared, is anywhere? Yeah, and I, I think that this is <laughs> this this is an issue that we are going to, as a country, we are really going to have to grapple with, with the increase of weather events like uh, what we have seen not only in Auckland but also throughout the Hawke's Bay and in different places throughout our country. This is this is an, an issue as we enter into the election cycle that we'll have to have a really open and honest conversation about how we prepare as a nation. And how that becomes fair and equitable for the people that are in the path of these extreme weather events and also for the taxpayer. Mm. So we need to have a a cross-party conversation about this. And I'm very encouraged through the conversations that we have already had with central and local uh, local government politicians. There seems to be a real willingness to get this over the line. We're just... We're just waiting. Okay. We're in the waiting room. Just, at the a final, just a final thought, picking up on what you were saying about uh, the, the, the waiting game and in Limbo. I was talking to a person. He actually came up to me at the gym. He was saying, he, West Auckland, he was saying that he's okay because he's on the top of the hill. But his next door neighbour, which is just below him and 30 metres above a stream, his house flooded in a major way. And this guy, he was in tears. He was crying. He said, I don't know what to do next. Yeah. I actually yeah. don't know what to do. Yeah. And he asked me for a solution. You know, what what can I do? I've, we've got this house. It's 30 mm. metres above a stream, but these events are such that the house floods. What do I do with my home? This is my home. Yeah, yeah. And I think I, I think it, 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 it's a really important thing to keep in mind that this isn't an intellectual exercise. This is an, this is these are people's homes. These are the communities in which they live, and even for myself in our situation, um, you know, I've got a, a young child, and we're a young family, and we're in limbo. What do we do? And the only thing that I could think of doing was getting involved in this group in WAIF, West Auckland is flooding, and and adding my voice and my expertise for what they are to to that cause and 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 this is the best that i i think that i've got and and my my plead my plead to uh to the local and central government is to have boldness and to act with bravery because they need to do what is needed and what is right in this situation be bold and be brave. Be bold um, and be brave. Lyle, we'll leave it there for now. Kia ora. Uh, go well. Thanks for being with us on the panel. That's Lyle Carter. He chairs West Auckland is flooding homeowners that have been uh, affected in response to the highly critical review just out this afternoon. 19 past four, the panel. Jenny Giblin, Mark Sainsbury here. Well, nearly half of New Zealand's total river length, unswimmable. Over 4,200 reported water 
uh, water flows, overflows, wastewater overflows, excuse me, in the 12 months from July 2020 to June 2021. Just 36% of lake monitoring sites showing an improvement. Just three of their many points underlining the dismal state of our lakes and our rivers. Threatening species to the verge of extinction and causing people to get sick. The Ministry for the Environment and Stats NZ released this latest national report outlining all of this. It's called our Freshwater 2023. And with us is Professor Jenny Webster-Brown, the President of New Zealand Freshwater Sciences Society and Director of Our Land and Water National Science Challenge. Professor Webster-Brown, kia ora. Kia ora. Um, Well, um, let's just say it doesn't sound good, does it? Nearly half, 45% of New Zealand's total river length is unswimmable. What's your take? Uh, my take is that it's not surprising. I mean, they, this is the same message we've been getting from previous freshwater, uh, state of our freshwater environment reports. But it is depressing that we're not making too much progress, isn't it? I mean, these, these messages that we're seeing are very consistent with what we've seen in the past. Well, let's talk about progress, because I can recall <laughs> talking about this very issue. You know, you're in the media, Mark. Yeah. This very issue... Uh, on Sunday in 2016, coming up into the um, 2017 election, fresh water was the big issue uh, in the 2017 election. Where are we now? What is it? 2023? Still talking about it, Jenny. Yeah, so we're not doing something right, are we? I mean, this, this is the frustration, is that these reports come out. They tell us what we generally already know. But they don't lead to any kind of action. They don't follow through into, um, you know, what could be done, what could be done to inspire people to behave differently, to treat our water systems differently. What, what is the next step? That is the frustration for, for me and I know many other researchers. Jenny. Jenny Giblin. I agree. Um, but to be honest, for me, it's not a surprise. We, we've stopped taking our children and dogs to the local um, to the local rivers in Central Hawke's Base. We've got the Tokitok River and the Waipawa River, which when I was growing up, everybody was down there with their families um, swimming in the river. But today, very few people go there, and they, and they certainly don't let their children, and all, all, very few let their dogs in the river. And, Jenny, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. That is totally shocking to hear. It's so yeah. shocking to hear that you grew up, were able to go to the Tukatuk River and swim, but now you can't. We used to go there and have barbecues on on Saturday nights with our with other families in our community, and we sort of grew all grew up, you know, floating down the rivers. Um, but look, I wouldn't have gone into swim in a river in, Hawks, in Central Hawkes Bay for probably at least 20 years, and and I don't know that my kids have actually ever swum in the river in Central Hawkes Bay. Oh my Hawks gosh. Bay. That is just extraordinary. Are you hearing this, Ginny uh, Webster-Brown? I am, and I'm wondering, actually, you know, what what has put you off? Is it the appearance Mm. of the river or is it your knowledge of, you know, the the water quality change? Ginny? Well, it's my knowledge. It's not necessarily the appearance because actually looking at the water, it looks... I mean, I'm, I'm not a scientist, I don't really know, but looking at it, it looks reasonably clean. But um, it's just what we've, we've, we've heard over the years in our community about, you know, sewage being disposed into the river and, um, and people just don't use it. We are close to beaches, which is great. But, um, you know, there's so, so much fun when you're growing up going down on a tube down the river and things like that. Those, those days are kind of over here. Okay, let's mm-hmm. ask our listeners, what was the river you used to swim in 
and you can't now. Text me 210 and hearing Jenny Giblin there used to be able to swim in the Tukituk River can't now. Her kids have never been in that river. Mark Sainsbury. Yeah, Wallace, it's, it's almost got to the stage where fresh water is an oxymoron. I mean, I can remember back when Nick Smith was Minister of the Environment and we're having the big campaign, we're going to clean up our yep. waterways. There's been successive governments have all got up there on the soapbox and this is terrible. We, you know, we can't have these reports keep coming in. And yet, here we are, from, as Jenny says, another one. You know, this is, this is not a, it is, it is absolutely not a surprise. So, I mean, I was quite depressed reading this, I'm afraid, you know, today. It just really, I don't know what it's going to take to, to, to actually get anything done. Jenny? I'm, I'm, I see your frustration. I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious what needs to happen, but we seem to lack the, the incentives and the structure and the support to make those actions happen. Mike, Mike Joy says, look, the culprits, sorry Jenny, is the farmers. It's, uh, it's dairying, it's intensive farming. Does he have a point? That is certainly one very significant pressure on our freshwater environments, and no one disputes that. However, if you remove dairy from the whole equation, there's a whole host of other problems that start to be encountered by New Zealand's economy um, and you know our livelihood and our perception even of New Zealand as a country. So you have to have a stepped approach to changing how farmers use the land but we're seeing all kinds of obstacles instead of support for farmers to change their behaviour and to change their, their way of earning a living. What sort of obstacles? Well, the banks, for one. If you take <laughs> your average dairy farmer who needs to, you know, move to another land use, but he's he's in debt to his bank for the, the dairy operation that he's running. Right. Um, just one example. It's, it's just we're, we're not lining up all our, our ducks to help farmers through this transition. Yeah, uh, a lot of, lot of uh, sorry, Jenny, a lot of uh, rivers coming. Tuki Tuki uh, wouldn't, sw- wouldn't swim there now. Uh, Piha Lagoon used to spend hours uh, uh, in it. Uh, the Ashburton River, bikes, great childhood. What a childhood. Not now. Quite a few mentioned Ashburton River. We're talking about uh, swim rivers that you used to swim, but you can't now. Jenny Giblin? I was just going to add in terms of the incentives for farmers. I mean, we're a sheep and beef um, farming operation here, not not uh, dairy. But look, under um, under the plan change that's come through from the regional council, where we have had to fence off waterways has been absolutely ridiculous. And the cost to do it is phenomenal. And um, we've planted out many dams. We've 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 fenced off a lot of our waterways. But where we've recently fenced, it's all gone in the flood. So you know, then I think. Incentives for farmers would be useful, but I also think sensible and a sensible approach to what is actually practical on a farm to fence off and where you fence off and where where um, aspects of the farm um, where you don't fence off because it's just simply not practical to do so. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm just going to throw this out there, um, Professor Webster Brown. Uh, you know, thinking about I'm just thinking back to Jenny Giblin's story about how there she used to swim in Tokitoki River. Should we just put it in the too hard basket? Uh, should we just forget about it? If you want to swim, go to a safe local pool. Our milk and our meat far too important. I I couldn't disagree with you more. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think we can say the horse is bolted. We can no longer swim in our rivers. I think that that's an admission. It's just unrealistic. Yeah, and and it well it. I, I would 
suggest that we're probably never going to have drinkable rivers in New Zealand. But swimmable rivers, in my opinion, is completely achievable and without totally wiping out our, our, our farming industry. Very nice to have you on the programme, Professor Jenny Webster-Brown there. Thank you uh, for being with us there. That's President of the New Zealand Freshwater Sciences Society. And, yeah, a lot of uh, lot of feedback on that coming now. The Tairi River, Maniatoto, Central Otago and the high country um, following intensification of swam once and came out covered in flocculent matter. Uh, says one. So, yeah, big response to that. 28 past four. Just a word on this. Do we need, changing the subject completely, do we need fragrance-free spaces? Now, this came up in the office this morning. Should etiquette extend to perfume? Whilst a good spray can be the most delightful thing, it can also be very intrusive. It can cause allergic reactions, headaches, even nausea. When is too much Hugo Boss, Amani My Way, Jean-Paul Gautier, what's the etiquette? Are we being over-fragranced? Starting with you, Mark, because I know for a fact that you just love a jolly good spritz of CK1. <laughs> now, I thought you were a brute man, uh, Wallace. I've, uh, used, I've used the same cologne probably for the last 30-plus years. And, um, what is it? Oscar de la Renta, Paul Louis. <laughs> And it's just something agrees yeah. with your skin. But you'd have this thing. I remember Mark Kreisel used to tell me that I was over-spraying. Um, but it, it, against <laughs> that is the, is the problem. We've all had it of someone in the office who mings. And we had what that, does that si- mean? They smell. Oh. And we had this situation, yeah, and who wants to, because no one wants to be told that you stink. But it turned out the person had a medical condition, which they actually went and got diagnosed and, and, and got it sorted out. But you wonder about this thing, but some sort of people say, I'm just waiting for someone to go, I'm... I'm uh, sensitive or allergic to scents, so I'd rather everyone in the office not wear them. Yeah, uh, here's a response here. Public fragrance etiquette, absolutely. I recall with a shudder a guy who used to come into the office drenched in Fahrenheit. Oh, gosh, no way. I was pregnant at the time with mild morning sickness, but his Fahrenheit was enough to tip me over the edge. It was the only time I actually threw up. Jenny? Well, I'm a bit like you, Mark. I've had the same perfume for about 30 years as well. Um, and I probably oversprayed, to be completely honest. Um, but look, isn't it all subjective? Because we all like different smells. And um, I guess it depends on what we're spraying around, really. Well, it's just, I, mean, uh, I, guess, I guess so, Mark. But it's just the sort of, the, it's back to etiquette, isn't it? You, yeah. you need to know how much is too much. Yeah. And look, sometimes, and you see, you know, I, I used to see my son years ago, and he'd get up and be spraying links all over him before he went out somewhere, you know, be drenched in the stuff. Um, but then you get those other, yeah, look, it's just about being, you know, you just got to treat it as just a... You know, if someone has an issue, if someone said to me, oh, look, I'm sorry, I have a reaction to, you know, what you're wearing, oh, well, that'll be all right. Bring me, I, me, bring me a medical certificate and I'm happy to look at it. I work in healthcare, says one, currently with people with lung conditions, so I don't wear perfume to work because of the risk of asthma attack. Wow. Yep. I love a good spray on the weekend, so and this is the point here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's it actually can affect people quite badly, including that person who felt sick uh, at the stench of Fahrenheit. You're on the panel on RNZ National. A lot of response regarding uh, rivers. When was I ask you today? Uh, where where was the river you used to be able to swim in, like the Tukituki or Ashburn River, and you cannot swim there now? Wallace. 
to even suggest that it's okay to accept our rivers as unswimmable, that is just pathetic. You're on the panel, RNZ National.